0: So that's just one example of some of the technologies in this space. There are many more that we're researching. Some of them we can do as an industry. Some of them we need engagement from big tech platform owners like Apple and Google to do it in an effective way. On-device learning is one such example there. But they're all sort of the first steps on this journey towards creating a better and more privacy safe
1: ad tech world. This is the Business Innovation and Technology Podcast. I'm Jordan Rogers smith and I'd like to welcome you to our show. Today, I'm joined by Sean Bedford, a Solutions Engineer here at Meta, and Adrian Nash, Head of Strategy at SAP. We will be discussing significant shifts in technology around privacy and how businesses handle customer information, what challenges exist when moving from third-party to first-party data, and how meeting these challenges leads to better business outcomes in a privacy-centric way. So I'd love for you both just to take a a second or two, just to introduce yourself to everybody. So Sean, say a little bit about yourself. Thanks Jordan. So hello
0: everyone, I'm Sean and I work in that business engineering team at Meta. My focus is on signals and privacy, and I work really closely with the businesses and developers to help set standards for the future of more privacy-safe advertising technology.
2: Yeah, hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Adrian Nash. Uh, as, as Jordan, you mentioned, um, I'm from SAP, but specifically the customer experience area of, of, of SAP um, that covers things like e-commerce, marketing, sales service, and customer data. And and I guess uh, just for context, I come from a an acquisition that SAP made of a company called Gigia, which was around uh, first party identity and consent driven um, profiles uh, that, that many of the organizations across the world use to onboard their customers in a privacy safe, uh, known way. So um, yeah, looking forward to today. So thanks for inviting
1: me. And it's great to have you here. So to start with, let's jump right in and really touch upon what has probably been one of the things that people have heard about or seen the most in, in recent times, which has been this shift around cookies and how that's impacting privacy and what that means for, for, for digital going forward. So really, Sean, like, I'd love for you to just take us through at, at a very top level, Like, what have you seen leading to these changes and, and what they mean? I'll address the elephant in the room first, which is the pandemic. This has really
0: led to rapid acceleration of the adoption of e-commerce and digital technologies. What may have previously taken us a decade to get to has really happened over the course of the past one to two years. So there's that thing to bear in mind first is that many more businesses are going to digital because of the current climate. Along with that, what we're seeing is a real change in users' privacy expectations. Now we have some big tech players here like Apple and Google who are continuing to make changes through their web browsers and mobile operating systems. And we have some examples of that from the past few years, such as app tracking transparency, private click measurement, and Google's privacy sandbox. And we also have a changing regulatory landscape. So we have over the past few years, things like GDPR, CCPA, LGDA, EPD, and many, many more. And it's important to acknowledge that digital advertising has to evolve to become less reliant on individual third-party data. For these reasons. it's, It's not just one thing, there are many things in parallel that are making these changes have to happen. So what this really means is that businesses, advertisers and otherwise, we all have to really innovate to find new ways to reach customers, both our own and those of Adrian's and other similar businesses. At the same time, we must really give users control and transparency over how their personal information gets used in an advertising context. This isn't an easy job. This is actually very hard because with that control, for users to make a sensible and informed choice, they also have to have a really good understanding of how and why that data being used is important. So on the meta side, what we've been trying to do here is invest in a multi-year effort to build a portfolio of what we call privacy-enhancing technologies, or PETs, as well as collaborating with the industry at large on these and other standards that will help support the next era of ad tech. This effort should help us both be ready from a technological perspective but also try and shift the understanding more broadly in the community, businesses and users, so that we can actually use these technological controls to better place people in the driving seat of what's happening with their data
2: you know sean you you mentioned some you know big things in the industry that we've probably all learned about in the last few years that we that we hadn't previously right when i started working at the small company that got acquired by sap called gigia the first customer that i was working with added this thing called an opt-in to a registration form which was unique at the time and it actually was a bit of foresight for that company because they were thinking about like collecting data but being transparent in how the data was being collected how it was being used at the time there were other companies thinking you know how can we get the most amount of data that we can we're not quite sure how it will be used yet but I'm sure it will become useful at some point in time so I think like if you look between the lines of the trends that you talked about around you know like global regulation the move to digital for because of the pandemic I think you see this seismic shift in the industry thinking that there's a company that controls a customer data to pivoting to a customer a a person that owns and and controls their data and it's about having the mechanisms in place so ultimately people have control of their their strategic asset their asset that that is associated to them which is their data but in the end you know we still want tailored products and services we want relevant messages we want relevant products and services suggested to, to us at the right time So it's about finding balance, you know, it's about finding balance of putting the control of collection and usage of data in the hands of the people that own that data, which is, you know, the people that the data is around versus, you know, trying to to use mechanisms like, you know, the privacy enhancing technologies that you're talking about to really allow businesses to still deliver a tailored personalized experience that provides more relevance to customers. And I think that's where, you know we as sap are investing a lot you know because we we're focusing on the first party identified consent driven data that powers your customer experience and and then you know partnering with with people like meta and 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 really thinking about how we can in a consent driven way kind of still continue that loop of like personalization, but in the hands and the control of, of those customers, if that makes sense.
0: Absolutely. You know, I, I think we're just really at the beginning of this journey. The the way that we manage consent as, as an industry today, I think that's one of the big game-changing parts of this that's going to have to go through a large shift. We're all pretty familiar in Europe with cookie consent banners. I, I think the only thing that there's universal consensus on is that no one likes them. So <laughs> you know, I think this is one of those things where we're going to have to go through this shift and it's going to be harder to explain to users than any of the existing cookie consent controls are but i think it's it's a battle worth fighting to actually get to a better future for everyone
1: so i want to expand on one of the points that that you raised adrian there and, and look in a bit more detail about the difference between third party and, and first party data because you know every all we've been talking about so far is is data and, and privacy around data but don't, not all data is is equal in a sense so when we're talking about restrictions on data a lot of this is around the third party data and what people would consider creepy and you know people following around the internet and those sorts of things whereas there is a lot of value and you touched on it adrian in terms of when you have your own first party data that can really be leveraged in a way to open up new opportunities for you and your business so You know, Sean, I'd I'd love to throw this one to you to start with really to just describe and take us through like what actually first party data is and and some of the opportunities that that are opened up by, you know, leveraging it within your business. Sure.
0: So first party data is data that a company collects directly from its customers or users. So in the digital landscape, typically what that means is if you're browsing to a website, example.com, if example.com collects data about a person, On that website, that's first party example data. Likewise for mobile app, if it's example.com's app and the user's browsing inside that app or doing something interactive with the app, the same applies, that that data gathered within that context is considered first party. Third party data, on the other hand, is information collected by one company and then forwarded onto another. So in that example.com situation, one of the really common use cases for advertising today would be if example.com has a pixel instrumented on their website. And then that pixel is being used to send data to to Meta, or to Google, or to SAP, or to or to anyone else really. At that point, that data has transited that company boundary to a third party context. Now it's important to know that there may not be may or may not be the concept of a sale in terms of this data. A CCPA in California actually really concretely defines the sale of information as part of the criteria there. So I think it's important to call out that sale implies something quite specific about interchange of monetary value and that may not happen with some of this data or it may just be data that is used to drive some sort of, sort of outcomes such as analytics or digital advertising or a number of other use cases such as even you know preventing fraud or detecting bots or preventing bad actors on the internet so there are lots of different situations where this ends up being used in practice. One of the really common ones is sort of with, with banking is is that exact sort of credit checking and referencing scenario. If you're making a loan application, chances are that information is going to be forwarded to some kind of credit referencing check agency. It's third party data from the context of that agency, but they need to have that information to be able to make an assessment and approve your loan. So there are plenty of examples which aren't just ad tech related, but this first party and third party context really spans all of them. So what we're seeing is with announcements from other tech platforms and with updates to privacy regulation, the long term use of third party data sharing across companies doesn't really look promising. And then what this really means is that companies need to change their strategy about how they gather and use information directly from their users which takes into account the legislative angle, things like CCPA, like I mentioned, and also the user's perception. So how does the user see this transaction happening and how do they have control over it? I think it's probably pretty common today for users to be interacting with a business and they're totally unaware of where is their data going and how is it being used beyond that business. They may think that example.com is the only place where this data is being used, but in the modern world it is very likely that's not the case and it's going to lots of different places and trying to explain that in a in an understandable way to your average internet user that's that's no easy thing to do
2: that's also a bit about what we're seeing from an SAP perspective and our customers really it comes down to like the purpose of, of of why you you're giving data i think we as a consumer base out there you know using digital services have become more aware that that you make a sense check internally in your mind when you're using a new product, a new website, a new, you know, something. someone sends you a link and asking you to enter data. We are much more conscious as a as a consumer body across the globe around the importance of data and, and the value that it has, along with the regulatory changes that we've seen around, you know, the GDPR, the CCPA and many other regulations that will continue to evolve. We also have the trends of that digital transformation that you mentioned early on in the, you know when we were talking but if you think about it also companies want to best serve their customers and those really innovative data-driven companies do really well because they know you when and in each interac- interaction step so there was a move already in the industry to think about you know how do i build a direct relationship with my customers and that's a first-party connection, right? Rather than relying on, you know, kind of, um, you know, some third-party data, even though it has its applications. How do I know who my customers are? How can I best serve them? Not just at the, you know, selling products and services on the e-commerce site, but how can I best nurture the, you know, best use of the products and service that they purchase? How do I support them best? How do I think about like the warranty servicing, all of those elements? So I think alongside the data and regulation perspective, there's also an industry kind of trend moving towards first party databases, because as B2B businesses move direct to consumer, like direct to consumer businesses, one of the things that they have to inbreed in their DNA is really around, you know, knowing their customers. So I think it's, you know, there's the there's the different types of data used for different purposes. As consumers... We need to understand those purposes, but know that the organizations that are using the data for that purpose, are only going to use it for that purpose because that's the legislation. But also, you know, brands are, are building direct relationships so that they can tailor experiences across the entire unique journey that we have with these digital engagements. Yeah, you know, I think one of the really
0: interesting side effects of that is going to be what, what I'm calling the tragedy of the Commons effect. Is, does this move towards first party data and away from third party data cause everyone to look inwards and build their own data pool in such a way that we lose the ability to benefit as a community from any of the data? Yeah, so I, I think that's one of many challenges in this space, but I think it's going to be really interesting to watch it unfold.
2: It's all about balance in the end. You know, it's some of the privacy enhancing technology that uh, Meta's working on and other industry players are working on is more about how can I keep the person's data even local to the device or the, the you know, the, the the mobile phone that they're using or the, you know, the the, the the website that they're using? How can I keep it local but interpret what best content and what recommendations to give to those segments of users so that it's more personalized but you're still deep in control of that data? So there will still be this need for collaboration of the right products and services across digital touchpoints, that that absolutely is definitely a trend that that is gonna continue. It's how we balance that with the privacy of consumers. And I think that's why, you know, technologies like custom data platforms, identity programs, uh, loyalty programs, hybrid, um, you know, connecting in-store, in-person engagements to your digital footprint, to those digital channels where you might discover products and services like, you know, Instagram, like finding new products and services there and connecting those things together. I think that's where we'll see some really interesting innovation because whenever there's you know challenges like regulations and they're different per region across the globe you'll also see innovation to to still deliver relevant products and services because in the end that's what we want as consumers we don't want irrelevance right
1: so we've touched on the term privacy enhancing technologies or pets a couple of times now and I really think it's worth us actually digging into what these actually are and how in the shift away from third party data to first party data, it actually becomes an enhancement and a need for these technologies to exist to still be able to try and bring some of these experiences that we're talking about, but in a, what we've been describing as a privacy safe way. So, you know, Sean, I know this is an area you're working a lot on. So can you just talk us through a bit more about privacy-enhancing technology space and and what it actually means to to do things in in a privacy-safe way. The general idea behind privacy-enhancing technologies
0: is that they're technologies that better enable privacy. Now, I'm not going to say guarantee privacy because nothing guarantees privacy, but they're certainly technologies that can help better assure that privacy is happening for users along the way. So we're investigating three privacy-enhancing technologies at the moment. Those three technologies, there's one called multi-party computation or MPC, the second's called on-device learning, and the third's called differential privacy, which is actually less of a technology and more of a technique. What each of these technologies do is they are various ways and means, often backed by cryptographic guarantees. So there's a mathematical guarantee behind much of this that tries to allow utility, so value, to be delivered, whilst at the same time better assuring people's privacy. As Adrian's mentioned already, this is all really about the balance that you want to strike we call it the privacy utility balance. So on the side of utility, you have full usefulness, full value from the data, which is probably pretty close to where we are today. And on the other side, you have full privacy. And the most private thing to do is actually switch off the internet. That's the best thing for user data and privacy for sure. But I think everyone could probably agree that's not very useful. So it's about how do we strike the balance between those two. And PETs really try to strike that balance in a better way than we do today. So, I'll give one example, which is from our multi party computation suite of PETs. We're, we're currently trialing a product called Private Lift, um, which is exactly what it sounds like uh, lift measurement done in a more private way. And the way that this technology works is it uses multi party computation to, to run a lift study. And the, the math behind it, lift studies are basically incrementally proving if one campaign is performing better than another. So the maths behind it is, is pretty simple maths, it's addition of results. And what's actually happening behind the scenes is we're doing that in a way that assures that we don't get the raw user data at Meta anymore. In, in the old days, in the way that the WebPixel works today, we do need that raw data to match to a user on our platform and then convert that into the results. Private Lift allows us to do that same kind of lift measurement without doing that. It's not perfect yet. There are some downsides to this technology. Multi-party computation, for example, is computationally expensive. So it's not easy to do in real time on large amounts of data, as we would do with the raw user data. But it's certainly a much better step in the direction of user privacy because we don't need to be sending all of this user information around the internet anymore. So that's just one example of some of the technologies in this space. There are many more that we're researching. Some of them we can do as an industry. Some of them we need engagement from big tech platform owners like Apple and Google to do it in an effective way. On-device learning is one such example there, but they're all sort of the first steps on this journey towards creating a better and more privacy-safe ad tech world.
2: I think it's great to see, you know, uh, the, the, you know, being. A sap but also partnering with many of the technology companies across the globe this is where you see innovation happen you know you it's where you see um new techniques new new methods to to provide an outcome when there's a challenge you know and i think like things like on device kind of um the tailoring of a, uh, you know, a, a, of a segment or a, an audience, for example, is a great example of of how we can move in the future. In the end, I think you know all of the the investment in things like privacy privacy enhancing technologies, like you know first party tools that help you build direct relationships, like the SAP Custom Data Platform. All of this innovation is happening because there's a seismic shift in the industry to think about you know how we can build resilient relationships companies can build resilient relationships with their customers so that they're long lasting. In the end, a relationship is a relationship, right? You know, if you talk to someone and you say, please don't tell anyone else, this is what I'm going to tell you. You don't expect them to turn around and then tell 10 other people privacy in the end and relationships is built on the same principles you share details with the organizations that you work with on a day-to-day basis you set the guidelines and you don't expect those guidelines to be uh, to be broken and over time you you trust and you you repeat interactions and so that's the opportunity as well i think you know it's to build more resilient long-lasting relationships with customers and brands And also, you know, technology vendors as well, um, uh, overall with all of this tech. So we're very excited about, you know, leveraging some of the innovation that that Meta's uh, doing even you know, around uh, things like conversions. And I think we store something like 11 billion consent transactions in our privacy platform that kind of dictates where customers have given permission to market on this channel with this frequency and all the things like that. So I think overall, seeing that kind of investment of effort across technology is really kind of exciting and it's, uh, it, it's, it's driving innovation in, in this market,
1: I think. So one of the things you've both touched on there, have been what most people who've used our platform will have experienced if they've done any sort of you know marketing marketing activity will have been pixels you know things like pixels and and conversions so a lot of the things that we're talking about currently in in terms of privacy enhancing technologies multi-party computation for our, for the end user they're still quite some time away from actually being tangible and things that they'll work with day to day But one of the things that is something that they may have seen or come across, they could potentially start onboarding onto and and being engaged more with is is what we call the conversions API. So again, Sean, I know this is something you've worked a whole bunch on. So how does the conversions API bridge this gap between third party, first party data, conversions, resiliency, and, and actually begin to allow advertisers to move some of what would traditionally be now third-party based you know, legacy activity to, to these more resilient methods of, of doing business?
0: Yeah, so like, the short answer is it doesn't directly address any of those things, but it's a really important foundational step. So the reason that we built Convergence API and the reason that we're actually encouraging every advertiser to adopt it now is because we believe that businesses should be in control of the data that they're sending and where they're sending that data. Now for that data to be useful, It needs to contain some information today. It needs to contain user-level event information. In the future, this may change based on these privacy-enhancing technologies and other things. I often use the example of thinking of Convergence API as a pipe. So this is a pipe that exists between you, the advertiser, and Meta, or potentially via a partner somewhere in the middle. And really the reason that pipe is there is that you've got a robust way of getting data from A to B. The stuff flowing through that pipe that is almost certainly going to change as big tech continues to make shifts here and legislators continue to make moves, but the pipe itself is still important. You still need a reliable way to get data through the other side. So, how the conversions API works is it's sending data from your from your website server side platform to Meta. This is what we call a server to server integration. So it's an API, and you can integrate with it today. This is already live. And the idea behind it is that it's the same information that the web pixel would have traditionally sent. So the Metapixel, which you may have on your website today, would normally be logging interactions such as people viewing content, people adding stuff to their basket and checking out with something. Uh, so you might be reporting on purchase or conversion events or um, the fact that someone is registered on your site. And historically, the way that we'd always use those events is we'd match them back to a user profile on the Meta platform via a cookie. For example, in the world of web or on mobile operating systems, typically we use the ID for advertising on iOS or the Android advertising ID on Android. So that's how we try and tie these data, data points back to individuals. At that point, once we know on our side who is that person, we can then do accurate reporting, firstly. So we can then say, okay, we exposed that person to an advert from that business three days ago. We can attribute it to the right campaign. We can also use it for what we call optimization. So this is for understanding the characteristics of users who are likely to take certain actions and then better driving business outcomes for those businesses by changing who are we going to put adverts in front of. So this in theory is win-win. It's win for the business because their ads are being shown to the right people. And it's win for the users because those users are being shown ads that are more relevant to them. So Convergence API is doing exactly the same thing but it's doing it in this more robust way through a server-side integration rather than through a what we'd call like a platform-reliant integration where the web browser or the mobile OS are involved in that transaction. The, uh, the final thing I want to call out on Conversions API is it actually gives businesses much more control over the data being sent. So by taking everything into their own systems, they actually have much more flexibility and control on how they send that data. You know, if, as a business I wanted to, I could send a random sampled 5% of all of my purchase events. I highly recommend you don't do that because it won't lead to good advertising outcomes. But if you wanted to, you could. So we, we look at this very much as giving businesses back control over how they run their business and how they run their advertising technology on top of it.
2: I think this is where, you know, we as SAP are also partnering with Meta, right? Because we've seen that, you know... Uh, our customers will continue to use pixel because it's uh, you know it, it's effective and but with the global changes it's almost future proofing augmenting that that pixel tracking with a conversions api call cool, right and and i i think some of the really exciting things that we're doing at, at sap is really thinking about that not just that on the on the e commerce channel like the you know the if you're using commerce cloud for 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 one of your e commerce portals we're actually abstracting it back to the cdp which is all customer data for that that company has and so that that ties in with the data privacy element of the customers that they're connecting so you still gain that resilience of reporting and 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 you know performance metrics because you're still having the 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 report back to meta on the on the effectiveness of that of what's happening but you can do so in a data privacy way that happens you know with with you as an organization you as the data controller in complete control of that and you can balance that on the permission that you have from from the consumers themselves so i think that's where we're going to see some really exciting kind of joint collaboration with meta and, and sap and that customer data platform and I, you know i think that's uh that that we we're, we're starting some work on that with some some uh, lighthouse customers and and really exciting results so far.
1: And if as a advertiser or marketer in this space, like you've piqued my interest in wanting to you know, to learn more about the conversions API and potentially move away from the pixel and start implementing it, but the t- it sounds complex and you know, we're talking about the you know, server side integrations and, and it sounds like i might need you know a large engineering team to potentially implement this like what are some of the routes that i can go down as potentially a small business owner to leverage this technology if i'm limited on resources or you know not technically savvy myself to be able to to actually still get these benefits
0: it's an API integration. It's more complicated than integrating the JavaScript pixel, which we do know many of us smaller businesses already struggle with today. So, you know, the, there is the, what we call the direct integration option, which is exactly what you just described, Jordan. That's get an engineering team, either contract one or use one that you already have to build an API integration that involves taking your website data, loading it up in your servers, figuring out what you're going to send based on whatever business rules you have, and then choosing what to send via the API. So that's that's the first option is a direct integration. The second option you have is you can work with one of Meta's business partners. We have a large number of accredited partners who offer Convergence API integrations today, and some of them have easier and smoother ways to onboard than needing that full engineering team on your side that's doing that end-to-end process. There are some trade-offs to consider in there. As I mentioned, if you want to be truly in control of this, you need to be out of the web browser or out of the mobile phone. And to do that, usually there's extra work involved But many of our business partners can help you do this in an effective way. Then the third option, which is a new solution that Meta launched approximately six months ago now, back in September, is something that we call Conversions API Gateway. This is what we hope will eventually be a fully turnkey solution with very fast one-click deployment. We're not there yet, but we're heading that way. And the idea behind this is that you spin up a cloud-based instance in a public cloud, so something in Amazon Web Services or Google Cloud or Azure or similar platforms, and you've got this advertiser-owned server running in the cloud, which integrates directly to your existing WebPixel. So this can take your WebPixel events, it can convert them to a conversions API event, and then it can send them on to Meta's Conversion API all fairly automatically without you needing an engineering team to do very much work. So those are the three options that we have available today. And I think at least two of those options shouldn't require as much engineering overhead.
1: And I guess finally, Adrian, do you have any thoughts about how customers who are hearing about some of this for the first time or you know, may may find a lot of this to be quite complex, you know, they could, how they can sort of begin to familiarize themselves with a lot of this technology or a lot of this terminology? Because I think the key takeaway for today really is that you know the old world is gone you know that isn't coming back the this the sense of third-party cookies and the way things were done before it's not like we're going to wake up in six months time and be able to go back to that world um so for advertisers who might be thinking well i'll just continue as i am or you know i'll I'll try and put some hacks in place to to, to work around this stuff like in the long term you're just setting your business up for 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 failure because the world will move on without you and i'm just curious if if from you know your point of view or sap's point of view how would you encourage people who are in that sort of that sort of space at the moment to begin taking these fine these first steps on on this journey
2: i actually believe that it's going to be part of the job you know if you're an advertiser if you're marketing having a knowledge of of data privacy is going to be like you know one of the things that the 101 topics that you you need to have experience of i don't think there'll be many organizations in the future that that don't have a strategy behind privacy you know there's many organizations that have hired chief Privacy officers that report to the CEO. um, You know, there's much more scrutiny on on how data is collected and used. So I think, like, rather than trying to ignore it as a as a a, as a phase that will will you know will overcome it as a technology kind of uh, body, I would embrace it and think about the opportunities that privacy kind of represents. It represents building more resilient, longer-term relationships. So I I would say, you know, kind of starting with the a lot of the world's regulations have spawned from the the first major one, which was the GDPR back in 2018 on the 25th of May, something like that. Um, But some basic understanding of like that data that you you can see that was kind of (laughs) burned into my brain Um, uh, and I hope it was right. Uh, but I think like some basic understanding of of those data privacy regulations is a great place to start because it starts to balance your mind of thinking purpose. Why do I have this data? Do I have permission to do it? All of those kind of core uh, knowledge assets that you need as building a strategy going forward.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And it, it was May 2018 when GDPR came into effect, so that, that's Pew. right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I completely agree. I think um, I think if you look at uh, where where we're going and where we come from, this is just going to become part of the responsibility of advertisers is to really think carefully about the data that they hold, how they're using it, why they're using it, do they really need it? I say this a lot internally. I work in a team which is focused very much on privacy. If I do my job really well, that team should not need to exist because privacy is everyone's responsibility.
1: So we're coming to the end of the time we have together today. And I'd love to leave the audience with a final thought from you both. And really just share, like, if there's one thing that throughout our conversation today that, they, that, that someone who's been listening takes away with them, like, what would that be? I think really the main thing to think about is that we can't go
0: backwards on this. We can't continue to try and work around these changes and these shifts that are happening. It's about really learning and adapting to the new world and figuring out how to run a business in this new world. Adrian's just touched on this a lot, so I would only say too much more about that. But you you really can't just bury your head in the sand and pretend it's not happening. So what we are seeing is that companies like Meta, Google, Apple and many others are really uh, trying to work towards this better future. But we do not know your business as well as you do. So you need to educate yourself and really establish what the best course of action is for you, for your business and for your consumers. We can help with tooling and with technologies, and there will be lots more progress over this over the next few years. We'll also probably see big changes on the legislative side, too, some of which may help or some of which may make life more interesting for everyone. We will wait and see. Um, But, you know, I I think the, the key takeaway is, you know, your business better than anyone else. So please educate yourself on these topics and these changes because they will have an impact on your business and you really need to have a plan on how you're going to deal with it.
2: For me, I think privacy is almost a byproduct of a cry to build trusted relationships, and I see that as an opportunity. The most successful brands are those that that kind of build longer term trusted relationships there's no reversing from here it's 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 the new era of this data explosion and but having this kind of data privacy as a core tenant of every company so see it as an opportunity to build relationships like you build relationships with your friends and you know with transparency with trust and therefore i think we'll build a much more opportunistic based approach to privacy than feeling like you're you you've got your hands cuffed together
1: So that does bring us to the end of our conversation today. And I do just want to express a big thank you to yourself, Adrian and Sean, for for the discussion we've had today. I hope you enjoyed this episode on first-party data. To learn how creative AI might be a solution for these increased privacy regulations, listen to our episode on Creative Insights.